Well, good morning. It is time for us to dismiss children. If you have kids who are in the nursery, they can be taken back and checked into the nursery now. And if I have children up through sixth grade who are in kid zone, uh, they can head back to the back doors uh, where Cody is standing and get ready for our kids' church. This world has been marked by conflict since the fall. From the beginning, once sin entered into the world, uh, there has been conflict between individuals. Sometimes that may be a small dispute that really seems inconsequential, and then sometimes that may be an all-out battle. Uh, There is also all-out war between nations and groups of nations. We are a world that is filled with conflict. We are not in complete harmony with one another like there was before the fall. And we are not in the harmony that is to come. Scripture tells us beautifully, uh, prophecies tell us that when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom, it will be a kingdom of peace. So one day there will be complete harmony, but we are not there right now. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 4. How we respond to conflict matters. How we respond to conflict in the church certainly matters. We will have conflict with one another. Uh, sometimes that may be because of someone's intentional decisions, and sometimes it's just, it just happens because we are different individuals with different ideas. And so there will be conflict in the church, and we don't have to respond like the rest of the world. The world responds to conflict as, you know, we have to cut these individuals out of our lives because I cannot uh, stay connected with someone because we differ on these things. At best, we might say that. Let's just cut them out of our lives. At worst, we, we want to destroy these individuals. We, the world will slander. The world will tear down. The world will declare an all-out war between them and the people like them against whoever they are in conflict with. The church does not have to respond this way. The church should not respond this way when there is conflict in the church. I'm going to read the text today. Philippians 4 gives us good, helpful instruction on this. So I'm going to read Philippians 4, uh, verses 2 through 5, and then pray for us. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Let's pray. God, we need your word. We confess that now. And we need your help in understanding your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you move in our hearts and minds. We pray that we will be a people who lives differently than the world uh, concerning these matters. And so, 
change our hearts, change our minds, help us understand and help us live accordingly to the truth that we see in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've titled my sermon today, Conflict Resolution in the Church. God's word in Philippians 4 gives us helpful, helpful, important details of what this should look like. We need this instruction to help us know how to deal with conflict when it comes up. Because it will come up. So we need this as individuals. We need this as a church body. I need this as your pastor. I need these words. I need this instruction. See, personally, I am an individual who uh, would like to avoid conflict when it's going on. Uh, now, now, I'm not talking about avoiding getting into conflicts. That's a good thing to say, like, I'm going to try to live in a way that I'm not in conflict with others. That's a good thing. I'm talking about avoiding conflict, avoiding addressing conflict when it's actually happening, when conflict has taken place, I would rather avoid this. Uh, you know, you may see that in your marriage. Uh, sometimes something's going on between you and your spouse. Uh, but when they finally like, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Uh, but clearly, you're lashing out. You're sharp in your tone. Uh, and you're avoiding conflict. That's a natural uh, response sometimes, and we certainly see that in the church. Uh, we think, well, I want to be gracious towards people. I want to I show some grace, so I'm just, I'll ignore it. But the conflict is there, and it's important that we address it appropriately. It's appropriate that, or it's important that we address it in a way that honors God and that exalts Christ Jesus. And that's what Philippians 4 shows us, is how we can honor God and how we can exalt Christ when we do find ourselves in conflict with one another. The first thing we see in this text is this. Conflict resolution in the church requires a solid grounding in the gospel. Conflict resolution in the church requires a solid grounding in the gospel. Let's look back at verse 2 of Philippians 4. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We don't know what disagreement had taken place between these two women. We don't really know much about them. The next verse, when we get to it, we'll see some more uh, clarification a little bit of who they are, but it's very minimal. We don't know much, and we don't know anything about the conflict that took place. It could be something personal between them. Someone said something that hurt someone's feelings. Uh, it could be ministry-related. Uh, one of them had an idea of what should be taking place, and the other one had a different idea, and they disagreed in that. Or it could be something cultural. The church had groups of people who came in from all kinds of different backgrounds and different cultures, and, and sometimes those cultural differences can cause conflict and misunderstanding. We don't know what it is. We can assume it's not a doctrinal issue. Paul addressed doctrinal issues head on. If there was a teaching that was going on or an instruction that was going on that was counter to the gospel, that was false, Paul stated it clearly. So if these two women had been arguing or disputing over doctrine, Paul likely would have said, 
here's the correct answer. Uh, this is what God's word says. This is the truth. And now respond accordingly. He doesn't do that. So we can assume that it is not doctrinal. And I think it's by God's grace that we don't know specifically what is going on between Euodia and Syntyche. Because my temptation would likely be if I knew exactly what they fought about or whatever they, the disagreement was. We don't even know if it was like an all-out fight. They just disagreed on something. If we knew what that was, I would be tempted when I find myself in conflict with brothers and sisters in the church to say, well, this doesn't apply to me because my circumstance is different. Uh, I, I don't have to do what Paul's talking about because I don't have the same problem that Euodia and Syntyche had. So I can respond differently. And we don't have the luxury of that. We just know that there's a disagreement between these women and Paul tells them how to respond. And so Paul says, this is what you need to do. Both women, he urges them separately, which I think is important because he wants them both to recognize you are to respond this way. Both women, he says, agree in the Lord. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, agree in the Lord. Whatever the disagreement is, whether it's a cultural thing, whether it's a ministry idea thing, whether it is a personal thing where somebody got their feelings hurt about something, whatever the disagreement is, Paul says, here's how you respond. Agree in the Lord. Agree in Jesus Christ. No matter what the difference is, no matter what you disagree about, you can agree in Christ Jesus. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Christ has done, and what he's accomplished, we can at least agree in that. And that's an important thing for us as we move forward, as we navigate conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We say, well, even though we've got this going on, we've got Jesus. We can agree in Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus loves us. Jesus has put us on mission together. We can agree in the Lord. Because of Jesus, we can pursue reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ when we disagree. Because of Jesus, we should pursue reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ when we disagree. I like the language from Colossians uh, the language that's used describing what Christ has done for us is helpful in thinking of reconciliation with others. Colossians 1, starting in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. The good news of the gospel is a message of reconciliation. Christ reconciled us to God. God reconciled us 
to himself through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And since he did, we can pursue reconciliation with brothers and sisters when we disagree with them. We can agree in the Lord. We can hold on to the truth of the gospel and say, no matter what, we all agree in this. And we can work through whatever other differences we have going on because the gospel is true. That helps us when we hold on to the gospel, even in differences, that helps us accept one another. That helps us forgive one another when that's necessary. And that helps us stay on mission together. We have to agree in the Lord. So church, for us, since the gospel's true, let's pursue healthy conflict resolution with others in the church when that's necessary. Let's pursue healthy conflict resolution with others in the church when that's necessary. Reminding ourselves that no matter what, we can agree in Jesus Christ. We can hold on the, to the truth of the gospel. And so I would urge you, if there has been some type of conflict that hasn't been addressed between you and a brother or sister in Christ, go to them lovingly and go to them and say, hey, because of Jesus... Like, I want us to work through this. I don't want to let this cause division. I don't want to let this affect our mission together in the church. And so go to them and say, because the gospel's true, I, I want to take steps towards reconciliation. We can do that because of what Christ has accomplished for us. The second thing we see back in Philippians 4 is this. Conflict resolution in the church requires the help of the church. Conflict resolution in the church requires help in the church. Let's look at verse 3 back in Philippians 4. Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I ask you, true partner, to help these women. Step in. Don't let the division grow. Don't let the conflict grow. Step in and help in this matter. Why? Why should anybody else care? Because these women were co-laborers for the gospel. They were contending for the gospel alongside of Paul. They were playing a vital role in the church. And Paul says we can't let division and disagreements stop. And so we don't know specifically who Paul's talking to, likely an elder or some other leader in the church. Uh, there's just true partner is how it's been translated. There's one Greek word for that. So they don't know if that word is the individual's name or if this is just who he's calling on as this leader in the church. True partner, help. Don't let the division grow. Don't let the disagreement cause further problems in the church. The church has to step in and help because these women are important in ministry. And complete side note, I think it's important just in passing, and there's another message for another time, but the description that Paul gives for these women is important for us to know that women have always played an important part in the church. From the founding of the church, 
women have played a monumental role in the work of God. Paul says, these ladies were co-laborers in the gospel alongside of me, striving for, contending for the advancement of the gospel. And sometimes in how the church has handled speaking about women in the church or women's roles in the church and a misunderstanding of that, sometimes we think, well, maybe women don't play that important of a role, and that's just not true. Women have always played an important role, even if there are certain Uh, We believe that there are certain positions that are designated just for men according to God's plan in the church. That doesn't mean that women don't have a monumental, important purpose in the church. These ladies are proof of that. They are co-laborers with Paul. So, again, side note. We'll pick that up another time in another message. But uh, I think that's important to see that these ladies have played such an important role. And Paul says we can't let the division, the disagreement between them hurt the church. We've got to step in. So he calls on this true partner, step in lovingly, care for them, and help them resolve the differences. Help them address the difference between them for the good of the gospel. Jesus speaks about this when he gives instruction. Now, he's speaking specifically if someone has sinned. And we don't know if Euodia or Syntyche had sinned towards one another. Uh, But Jesus talks about people in the church. We can help one another when there are disagreements, when there are problems, when you've been sinned against. And so in Matthew, we see Matthew 18 Jesus giving instructions to people, if you've been sinned against, Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. And then listen to the instruction here. But if he won't listen to you, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If, if your brother won't listen to you, then take a brother or sister with you and go to them and address the issue and address the sin that's taken place is what Jesus is saying so that y'all can work through it so that we can deal with the problem. Paul's using that same idea saying even in just disagreements, not necessarily talking about sin, but even in disagreements in the church, we need the help of others to step in and say, Hey, let's get this. Let's help each other through this disagreement. Help them reconcile. So for church, for us, what we need to do is we need to recognize the important role of helping our brothers and sisters reconcile when there's been some type of disagreement. We need to recognize that this is an important role. We don't sit back and just watch and say, well, they're at it again. Uh, We don't ignore it. We certainly don't need to choose sides. Can you believe she said to her? Uh, Can you believe he did that to him and choose sides in the issue? That's not what the church should be doing. For us, we can help by not taking sides, by constantly pointing each other back to Jesus and say, look, because of Jesus... We can get through this. We can address the issues. We can work through the disagreements. And we keep calling those in conflict back towards the unity that Christ desires in his church. 
the church needs to care about and needs to step in and help when there is conflict. And that doesn't mean we're just looking for issues to, you know, to meddle in other people's businesses. But we recognize we can't ignore it. And we need to try to honor God. And we need to exalt Christ when we're doing these things. The third thing we see back in Philippians 4 is this. Conflict resolution in the church requires rejoicing in the Lord. Conflict resolution in the church requires rejoicing in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. This letter is the epistle of joy. We've talked about that multiple times. Paul continues to bring it up. Uh, over and over again, he's talking about joy. He's talking about rejoicing, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on. And if you just take the context here at first, you may think, this verse seems a little bit out of place. He's talking about conflict between these two women, and then he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And so that may seem out of place, but it's actually quite fitting that he puts that here. Because even when there's conflict, especially when there's conflict in the church, when there's conflict between brothers and sisters in the church, we have to continue to rejoice in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Because we'll be tempted to let bitterness in. We'll be tempted to let anger grow when we've been hurt by someone or we've been, when we've been disappointed by someone else in the church. Whether that's your leadership or a friend or a ministry partner, when they've hurt you, when they've disappointed you, it's easy to let bitterness grow. And that bitterness will cause further division uh, and destruction in the ministry. And so Paul's instruction to rejoice, his double instruction to rejoice, is quite fitting. Hey, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of disagreement with brothers or sisters in Christ, we can still rejoice in the Lord. Paul has reminded them repeatedly through this letter. Back in Philippians 3.1, we saw him say this, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me. It's a safeguard for you. He's continually reminding them, church, this is what we've got to do. We've got to keep rejoicing in the Lord and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Paul double emphasizes this. And we want to address it. We want to make sure that we are not letting disagreements in the church tear us from our mission and our focus on Christ Jesus. And so we keep rejoicing in him no matter what. We keep reminding ourselves, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves this brother or sister in Christ. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for their sins. Jesus put us together in this church on mission. We can get through this, no matter what the disagreement is. So for us, as we work through disagreements in the church, as we work through disappointments and conflict, we have to remember the importance of continuing to rejoice in the Lord, finding joy in who Jesus is. That's essential for us. That will help us get through the hard things because we will face them. 
between one another. We're a group of sinners, every single one of us. And so we will, we will sin against each other at times. We'll disappoint each other at times. We'll hurt each other at times because of that. And so we keep holding on to Christ Jesus and keep striving to exalt him as we work through it. The fourth thing we see in the text is this. Conflict resolution in the church requires gentleness towards one another. Conflict resolution in the church requires gentleness towards one another. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Graciousness is one of those words in the, in the original language that's a little bit hard to translate. Uh, but most of those who translate it would say that it, gentleness is, is kind of the main idea. And so some of your translations, if you're looking at something other than the CSB, some of your translations will say, uh, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Because the Lord is near. And what a beautiful reminder. Right in the middle of this instruction of working through conflict with others. Hey, Jesus is near. He, he hasn't abandoned you. You're not on your own in this. You're not just trying to figure it out and trying to get through it on your own. The Lord is near. Jesus Christ is near. He cares about what's going on. He cares about the, the disagreement and the conflict, and he wants what's best for the church. Jesus is near. And so Paul says, as you're working through conflict, we have got to be known for our gentleness. We've got to be known for our gentleness with everyone. And that certainly goes against our culture today. We are not good in our culture today at being gentle with people that we disagree with. We want to tear them down. We want to humiliate them. We want to uh, cause great harm. Uh, and sometimes that may not be physical harm, uh, but we want them uh, to feel wrath when we disagree. Just look on social media we're brutal. The world is brutal. And sometimes the church, we're not doing very good of looking separate from the world in how we handle conflict. We are not being very gentle towards one another. And Paul steps in where, where there's conflict, where it's hard. It's easy to be gentle with people that you agree with and people that you love and enjoy all the time. But Paul steps in and says, look, even in conflict... We've got to be known, church, as gentle people. We've got to be known for our gentleness to every single person that we come in contact with. Jesus' disposition towards us was and is gentle. He's always been gentle towards us. Let's look at Matthew 11. 28 and 29. I'm actually going to read from the ESV here. That's what's going to be up on the, uh, on the screen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, in describing himself, says, I'm gentle. I am gentle. You can come to me. You won't find harshness when you come to me. You won't find a critical tone when you come to me. You're going to find gentleness and a humble nature. And I will care for you. You will find rest for your souls. That's how Jesus describes himself. We assume often that Jesus would respond how we want to respond and how the world responds when there's conflict, when there's issues. Uh, We feel like sometimes you may feel like Christ is just ready to lash out at you. Like, are you serious? You've done this again? This is how you've acted again? You're still having the same issue again? We think that that's Christ's response to us because that's how we might respond to others. Or that's how maybe a parent responded to us. Very harsh, very critical. And so we think that's how Christ approaches us. And He's not. He is gentle towards us. One of the the best books that I've read, I've probably mentioned it before, and I'm going to keep mentioning it, and we're looking at ways for us to do studies in this. Uh, One of the best books I've read in the last couple of years is Dana Ortland's book, Gentle and lowly. And it's, it's on the, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. The, the depth of Jesus' love for us. And the idea behind this, the starting point behind this, is this verse from Matthew where Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. And listen to Dane Ortland's description concerning this idea. Gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the world. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And he goes on later in that chapter to say, For lowly gentleness is not one way that Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentle himself any more than you or I could change our eye color. What a beautiful description of our Savior. He is gentle towards us. He always has been gentle towards us. And he always will be because that's who Jesus is. And Paul says, church, we've got to be known for our gentleness. Even when we're dealing with conflict. Even when we're struggling through stuff with brothers and sisters in Christ. When we've been hurt. When we've been disappointed. We've got to be known for gentleness. Because that's how Jesus was towards us. And so when we are gentle Even in conflict, we display to the lost world something different. We display to them and open up an opportunity to say, we can do this because of Jesus. So church, we must respond with gentleness towards one another when we disagree. Not with harshness and cruelty, not with cutting people out of our lives and saying, I I can't be with them anymore because they've disappointed me so much. 
So let's ask God to produce in us the gentleness that Christ has for us. He's going to answer that request. He will produce in us gentleness. That's one of the the fruit of the Spirit that's listed. Uh, Gentleness is one of the things that the Spirit of God will work in our lives. And so let's ask God this week. Let's ask Him daily. I need it daily because I'm tempted towards a critical tone. I'm tempted to lash out when someone's hurt me or disappointed me. So let's ask God daily. Give me the same gentleness that Christ has for me. Let me be a display of that to the world. And God will produce that in us. God's word today addresses an issue that every one of us will face in our lives and in our churches. We will face conflict. We will face disagreements with brothers and sisters in Christ to some degree. And how we handle it matters. Because hurt from the church lasts a long time. Some of you have been through that. Some of you have been through hurt from a, a member in the church or a leader in the church before at some point in time in your life. And that hurt lingers. That has lasting effects. And so we want to... Follow God's instruction. We want to, to do what God's calling us to do and say, look, when, when there's conflict, I'm going to hold on to the gospel. I'm going to hold on to what Jesus has done for all of us. And we're going to keep agreeing in that. And we can work through everything else. And as we do that, we demonstrate to the world the gentleness of our Savior, the kindness of our God. And so let's double down on these efforts when we face conflict. For Jesus, for his glory, we can do it. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that we will be marked always as a people that will honor you and exalt Christ in how we handle differences here at Dogwood. I pray that we will always rejoice in Jesus Christ and what he has done, no matter what we're dealing with. And I pray that we will be known throughout the world as a people of gentleness so that we can display the gentleness of Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.